Coming up on the draft deck, we are going to break down Auburn point guard Sharif Cooper, a really volatile prospect. He could go high. He could drop low. There's no way to know, but your boys are about to break him down. So hit the intro music. You give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin, the only problem I'm going to have buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. And we are live. What is good, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back for another episode of the Draft Act podcast. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Albert. What is popping, dude? What's going on, man? Um, honestly, Corey, I wasn't sure if we were going to record today uh, after uh, our two favorite teams went to war yesterday. <laughs> wasn't sure how you were feeling, uh, <laughs> dude. I, you know hey. what? <laughs> it, no, it was it was ahead, a brutal it, the, it was a brutal defeat from the uh-huh. Bulls. There, uh, Daniel Tice just could not control his temper, and uh, I feel like that <laughs> that technical that got him going really started turning things. It felt like a seven point swing, but it felt so good to be at madison square garden watching an nba basketball game live and honestly like i know there wasn't a packed house but i kind of hope it doesn't go back it was unbelievable seeing a basketball game like this where i could just go to a concession stand at halftime and just go get a like a soft pretzel and a drink and or i can go to the bathroom and not have a hundred million people in front of me there was something kind of nice about it and it still got loud when quickly bang that three it mm. still got loud you know so mm. I, I mean obviously i want it to get you know to full capacity just for uh the sanity of of our planet but uh it was a good time and and even though the bulls lost um i, I didn't i never expected it we're, we're without zach levine we're struggling yeah dude i, I want to say me being out here in la on the west coast it was uh it was tough to see you there i was pretty jealous but um i'm glad i'm glad you got to see it dude because um yeah i mean i i can't i don't even remember what it's like to go to a live sporting event anymore and um i think the knicks are coming to la in may so i'm gonna try to make it out to that one i'm not exactly sure if i'll be able to get my hands on tickets but yeah man other than that uh it's good man it's good to be back i you know i'm like half excited half not too excited about you know the prospect we're going to talk about today because this is one of the prospects that I'm like really hot and cold about. But um, yeah, I mean I- I'm ready, Corey. Let's let's do it. I I don't think you're alone. Uh, the prospect that we're talking about is Auburn point guard Sharif Cooper. Uh, he is 20 years old. He's listed, and I say listed emphatically at six foot one inches, 180 pounds. Um, my man averaged 20.2 points a game, 8.1 assists, 4.3 rebounds, and a steal. Shooting splits, not nearly as nice um, as as the numbers might indicate. Shot 39% from the field, 23% from three, 83% at the line. So um, at least the free throw, free throw shooting was there. Um, let's get into some preseason rankings uh and and talk about maybe how his his play may have affected his draft stock uh in the preseason bleacher report ranked him at 42 uh espn and and maybe i just glanced over it but i looked over the list a few times it it looks like he was unranked uh in gavoni's list 
And then SB Nation, he was ranked at 22 preseason. Currently, uh, Bleacher Report has him at 16, so that's 42 to 16. ESPN has him at 19, so that would be unranked to 19. And then SB Nation has him at 15, so that would be 22 to 15. So his stock is on the rise. So, Albert, I Mm. ask you, why? That... Okay, so this is my this is my theory, Corey. I think uh, there are a lot of reasons why I think his stock is rising. I think part of it is that, like, when we're talking about the main point guards that are going to go in this draft, a lot of them, it seems like, are going to go in the top six picks, right? Whether we're talking about Jalen Suggs, whether we're talking about, I mean, it depends on how you um, how you see Cade, but Cade, I, I think deserves to be a part of that conversation sure. um davion mitchell i think it's it almost feels like he's going to be a lock to go sixth um i know a lot of like front 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 office execs have been saying to whether it's like to chad ford or to others that it seems like a six player draft now so i think that's interesting too and it's i mean shouts to davion we already went over davion a couple of weeks ago but shouts to him and you know his play and turning it into a six player draft. But I think the reason why Cooper is shooting up draft boards is because he has an elite skill, right? And Mm -hmm. you you and I, we've talked about this so much. I think when you're looking at prospects, you want to see if they have an elite skill or not. And if they don't, that's when you really start to question whether or not you want to use a high end pick on them. And so for me, I think the reason why Cooper is flying up boards is because he's an elite level passer. Yeah. I, I think, uh, that's spot on. And, and, uh, as far as just touching on Davion again, because, um, again, he's a joy. Go back and listen to our episode uh, if you want to know more about him that we did uh, for the draft deck. But, yeah, with Cooper, he has an elite skill. Um, and it's it's an important uh, elite skill at the NBA level. And um, it is uh, – dude, it's, it's, like, really, really elite. I mean, so he averaged eight assists a game, like we mentioned, uh, for this Auburn team. And, and guys, girls – um, this Auburn team was tough to watch. I like, you know, w- when I was about to start my, um, you know, my Cooper, you know, scouting and, and getting ready to watch film, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm really excited to to watch his film because he's an exciting player. And then after the first game, I was like, Ooh, this is going to be tough because the team around him, there just weren't enough shooters for, you know, to make it fun. But even still, I mean, he averaged eight assists a game in college, which is, you know, it's a shorter game. Uh, yeah. And and that's that's a significant number. And his assist percentage was 52%. 52% of his, like, possessions ended in an assist. That is Sick. absurd. That's that's higher than Trey Young. And, and, you know, when Trey Young came into the draft – we were talking about how elite his passing uh, is going to be at the NBA level. Now the, the difference, you know, there are certainly differences that we're going to get into between Trey and, and Sharif, but just to, to give you the kind of level of passer that he is uh, he's elite, man. I, you know, the, like you said, I, that those numbers, you can't fudge those numbers. You can't stat pad those numbers, especially because if he was in a different situation, like if he was on that Gonzaga team, mm-hmm. he'd average, I think 10 assists a game. You know, they just had guys that could finish way better than Auburn did. I mean, Cooper to Kispert alone would have given him three and a half assists a game just just on on that alone. But uh, I I, and you look at the way the NBA game structured, you know, more space um, and better shooters because these are the best players in the world. And 
you, you get this kid on the right team and, and you could have a guy who really, really is going to make your offense tick. But, yeah. you know, some other things about him and, and he was Auburn's not fun to watch, but he is, you know, because he does do things. You're like, oh, oh, that's a little that's kind of eye popping. Right. And yeah. and first, like the the first thing you notice, though, when you watch him um, and it reminds me of like Iverson and, and those guys like he's not six foot one or whatever he's listed at, you know, like Iverson was not six foot Shreve Cooper, like with his hair. Sure. With, with yeah. the haircut he is, but he uh, there, I just can't see him being any taller than five foot 10. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he looks it out there, but like Iverson, like Isaiah Thomas, you know, guys that I feel like are kind of his body uh, doppelgangers. He's strong. Mm-hmm. You know, and he doesn't necessarily look it. He's not jacked like Davion Mitchell or, you know, you could tell Jalen Suggs is is physically fit. You know, he's a quarterback. You know, you could look yeah. at his physique and be like, that's a strong dude. Cooper doesn't necessarily look it, but he is, you know, and you see it in the way that he gets into the paint consistently and and just bangs bodies with people. So I, I do think that, you know, whilst typically players of his height and size, like, you know, they do struggle to find success. I think you look at last year, like Devon Dotson, who is on my Chicago bulls was a, a guy who had a ton of success in college just short, quick, you know, um, strong. And, and he hasn't, he's really struggled to find NBA success. So players with this archetype, it's, it's definitely an uphill battle, but there, the way that he moves and, and the, the way that his body is able to create contact and bang with some of the bigger bodies, it does kind of give me hope. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that brother. I, I think, you know, uh, what, okay. First off, I do want to say, Corey, I a thousand, uh, 1000 percent agree with you on the Auburn piece, like watching, watching our Auburn is hard, but also like on a larger scale, watching college basketball is not that fun. I do yeah. want to say that, like <laughs> no, overall, holy crap! Like the pace of the game, the refs are so ass. Like I look, refs are always going to get a lot of hate, but college refs might, dude, they're like literally blind. Like the charge, the charge stuff in college basketball, I'll never understand. I really do think they just guess and like yeah. go case by case. Charges but, are the worst, dude. They're really the worst. Um, but I do want to say, I agree with you. Like there is a strength and a savvy to Sharif Cooper that I do like. Now, of course, I'm like fully loaded up on things that I want to say that I don't like about his game, but we'll let's get pump there. the brakes here. Yeah, you know, let's we'll pump the brakes here. Get there. I, I do want to th- say, and I know you put this in the notes too, that I, I really agree with. I actually liked his floater game. It, it's not like mm. some perfect floater, but I thought he used it well. Um, I thought he did a pretty good job of that. I think, as you mentioned, there's a deceptive strength to him. And this is how I feel, Corey, and we'll we'll talk about this, but... I kind of see him as like a high-end third guard, right? Mm. And if you're looking at NBA rosters and you're looking at third guards, you actually get like a wide gamut of different types of third guards. Like, okay, look at Denver. They have Facundo Campazzo, right? He's an interesting guy. You look at Indiana and they've got TJ McConnell. Then you look at uh, Archie Diacono for you guys. (laughs) Like there are all kinds of different backup guards for the Knicks right we have Derek Rose and we have Emmanuel quickly like a, a third guard on a roster can look really different depending on the roster construction for me I see Sharif 
with what you're talking about with his strength and all of his di- different passing, you mentioned his passing. His passing and transition is freaking mm. nuts. Yeah. Nuts. Like the anticipation and like for him to be able to like be moving at the perfect speed and the anticipation on his passes in transition. Also, I, I do want to say, I watch Alfred Payton play a lot and I <laughs> don't like it. Right. But I mean, yeah. I think he gets a little bit too much hate. I think there are still things that Payton does well. But the thing that I don't like like about Peyton is he actually is not that good at throwing lobs. And I think mm. people just like assume like, oh, you're a point guard. You're good at throwing lobs. Sharif is actually pretty damn good at throwing Dude, lobs. He, pretty Dude. damn good is an understatement. Yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. He is I, filthy. Word. Filthy, bro. I love his lob game. And he was throwing lobs to the guys that were like not great players. But he's really, really good at that. So, so I think the best, best place for me to start is... I'm going to get to the negatives later, but the things that I really do like, the passing is real, and he yep. does it well in the half court. Like his anticipation, I think it was um, Hawks Draft Nerd that put up a clip of him and like his passes yes. to the perimeter and like just the timing and the location and all that is amazing. But for me, what stuck out, the transition passing, sick. Just absolutely sick. And his ability to control the pace, even while they were like, pretty much running it's weird they're running full speed but he knows how to like do a half speed slower just mm-hmm. so that he can perfectly de- deliver passes he's nasty at that and that alone for me as much as i want to hate him i can't because of how good he is as a passer yeah you you're right i mean his, like dude, like you said the it's it's filthy the way that he throws lobs and times it and the touch like it's feathery it's like yeah. he's throwing like if you've ever seen rookie of the year, you know, like spoiler alert, because it's it's been out for a while, you know, like it it the movie climaxes with with float it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he strikes out the, yeah. the 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 batter with just like the the high lob floater pitch. Like that's what his his alley oops look like. They look like mm-hmm. uh, the the scene from rookie of the year. They just they just glide in the air so softly mm-hmm. and besides it just looking awesome it makes it easier for your players to catch oh yeah you know like it's it's not just purely aesthetic like there's there's a functionality to it as well so the the passing is sick and and you know i think if you're looking at a player like him and you're worrying like well will something like that transfer like you say like, he's so crafty and um like he's going to be able to get to spots i think at whatever level he plays at because um, he, he is such a good ball handler on top of it. And, you know, like passing skill is one thing, you know, I look at my bulls, uh, Tomas Sadoransky. He's a, he's a good passer, you know, he's got good vision, but he can't break guys down off the dribble at all. Like it's tough to watch. And, you know, ultimately he's a backup guard mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He's very safe. Sharif is probably going to be a little bit more turnover prone at the next level than a guy like Sadoransky. However, Sharif is dynamic enough to even without the jumper, which we'll get into a little bit uh, in in a little bit, even without the jumper, he's still able to get to his spots on the floor because he's got a really quick first step and he's got a a really fantastic handle. Like it's well above average, his handle. Um, So uh, I believe that, you know, he's, he's going to be able to translate this. And, and, you know, we talk about it all the time. If you have an elite skill um, at the NBA level, you, you have a real shot. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, 100%. It's, it's just that simple sometimes. I mean, so 
let's talk about some of the stuff you you don't like and and um, you know we can get back into stuff that we do like after but let's let what don't you like about Sharif okay so Corey I actually we should have a talk about this because I think even outside of basketball you get athletes who move at a pace that makes them look really nonchalant and makes them look almost lazy, but actually isn't. So like an NBA comparison for me is like you watch D'Angelo Russell and he's got a weird pace to his game, right? I mean, D'Angelo Russell doesn't have like, you know, off the charts athleticism. So he's really good at using pace to his advantage, right? Sure. But there are moments you watch him play and it looks a little lazy. Um, I in baseball for the longest time, Robinson Cano played second base for the Yankees. He used to get crap all the time because he was such a smooth defender that it almost looked lazy, right? But he was actually in his prime was a really good defender. He just made it look so smooth, right? And he's so coordinated, so beautiful. When I watched Sharif Cooper, this is actually not a slight against him. This is actually just something that I think we should talk about because there are moments when you watch him play and it looks a little lazy. Mm-hmm. But when I really like I was OK, I watched his game against Kentucky, which he really struggled. I watched his game against Baylor, which he struggled. And then his game against Mizzou, where he kicked ass. Right. And in those games, you get moments where it feels like he's like super nonchalant with the ball or super nonchalant with his, with his movements. But like the more I watch him play, the more I feel like it's actually deliberate. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's actually think he, he kind of has like big brain on. And he's like saying, like, in these moments, I'm going to move at this pace so that on, in the next possession or three possessions later, I'll be able to hit them with some burst that'll feel even faster than it actually is. Right. So you get that in baseball, too, with like pitchers and to throw 90, but it looks 95 because spin rate or whatever. That's how I feel about Sharif. There's a there's a weird pacing to him and like a nonchalant type of way that he plays but he's actually thinking it through and a lot smarter than i think he's going to get credit for just so i just wondering Corey, if you saw so, the same. no that's that's kind of interesting and because and you know i was gonna bring this up a little bit later when we kind of say like you know if you're buying stock in sharif who maybe did, have you bought stock in in the past and to me sharif is a lot like Lamelo. They share a lot of similarities. The difference, and it's a significant one, is that Lamelo's six foot seven, six foot eight, you know, whatever he measured in at, and (laughs) Sharif's probably closer to five eight. Mm -hmm. So it's a significant, uh, significant difference. But I think that Lamelo had a lot of that same stuff, right? Like he he looks disinterested. He's he whatever, but he has all this natural stuff. And then, so I I kind of see, I do see what you're saying, and obviously. It wasn't a negative for LaMelo because he was terrific this year. And I don't think it's a negative for Sharif because I think that he was really, really productive when he played, even in games that he struggled in. Like he was the engine, you know, either way. Um, and, you know, that that was not a good team. And without him, they'd, they'd have been, you know, way worse. So, yeah, that 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 is interesting. But. Again, I, it's definitely to me when I was watching him, it's not disinterest. It's just he's he's playing he's playing with the pace of stuff. He's going yeah. he's going slow. He's going fast. You know, he's he's got that quick first step. But if you're always using a quick first step, then it's it's no longer quick because exactly because now people know what's happening. You know, unless you're Russell Westbrook, where you could just you're you're you know running through brick walls and nobody can do anything to stop you. Um, you know, you you then you're like R.J. Hampton. 
who hasn't yeah. necessarily figured out how to use that speed yet and play with the change of pace. And and it takes a while for that. But Sharif really does have a, a pretty nuanced understanding of like when to come ar- around a screen and attack the the big or like when to come around a screen, put somebody in jail, get them on their hip, you know, cross over to the other side and and kind of put defenders into this little cat and mouse game and, and play with them. And he has that. And, you know, you brought up his floater, which, I, you know, I think is going to be, I think it's going to need to be a, a major weapon for him at the next level. It's definitely, it's there. It's smooth. He's got it. Um, and I think that it's something that he's going to have to just seasons over. We're in the pre-draft process, workout, 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 Tony Parker film, you know, like all these guys who have the teardrop yeah. get that going because he he struggled finishing at the rim this yeah, year. So you know, so that's that's a, that's the thing that I want to talk about next because I, especially in that game against Kentucky, um, he really does struggle against elite athletes mm. um, at the rim. You know, and that's uh, as you're mentioning right now. As he starts to develop and he works on the floater game, he works on all that stuff. I think that'll improve. But what we just from what we saw on tape from college, uh, when he's going against the trees and athletic trees at that, right? Yeah. Uh, he did struggle. These aren't the uh, Lord of the Ring trees that move at a snail's <laughs> pace now. You know, once he gets to the NBA, these guys can move and these guys can do a lot. And so yeah. I think that'll be interesting. Um, I, I think for me, yeah, once again, the, that finishing part, true. Uh, the other concern that I had and that I think we could take a good amount of time talking about right now is the shooting, right? Um, yep. Something that you put that I really liked was, uh, and that I agree with, I think this fool, he put up, let's see, 8.6 free throws per game in mm-hmm. college, and he shot 82%. And you and I, I think we're, we've always been on the same page, and we talk about it almost every freaking episode. We love free throw shooting percentage and how that translates to the next level. But for me, when I was watching his jump shooting, there were some things that really bothered me. The first thing that I don't like is like, Depending on what game you're watching, his shot looks different game to game, mm. which I thought kind of scared me a little bit. Uh, it almost looks like there's a four-step process before he can even unleash a jump shot. Um, it, it looks like there's like buffering going on before the ball comes out. Yeah. Um, we should mention for all our Twitter followers out there, if you saw Corey's jump shot this week with him shooting in that empty gym, <laughs> the mechanics are rock solid, right? <laughs> uh, that's not Sharif Cooper here. He's got some buffering. Uh, he's got some, and then when he misses, dear God, like <laughs> he misses bad, but they even sound terrible. It, it sounds like <laughs> he threw the ball and hit someone in the face is how it sounds like off the back rim. You know, that's interesting. Cause yeah. I watch all my games uh, with no volume. Mm-hmm. So I don't hear that sound. So that's, that's kind of an interesting note. I, <laughs> I always have my games on mute. Um, Cause I'm watching them like. <laughs> when I'm at work and you know, well, times what I'm not supposed to be. Corey, Corey you're missing a, a big dimension of this because his misses sound like a freaking train wreck, dude. It's yeah. so bad. Like the game against uh, Kentucky, dude, some of those clanks, they weren't clanks. They were freaking car crashes. Yeah. So um, that's, that's something there, but so, okay. That's how I feel about a shooting. I think there's a lot, a lot of work to be done. I mean, I've been wrong about prospects and their shooting, but I, I feel like generally, like I have a pretty good eye for it. Um, I hate the buffering aspect. I hate how many steps it takes for him to get, get the ball out of his hands. But at the same time, what keeps me coming back, uh, this is like an abusive relationship almost, <laughs> but um, what keeps me coming back is a free throw shooting. Yep. And look, it, the free throw shooting, it's not on three attempts a game. Like we said, it's he's right. over 
eight attempts a game, which is just an absurd stat in and, of, in and of itself. And, when, you know, we'll talk about his finishing a little bit. Um, but the shooting, you know what, though? Like, I think it's fixable. So, like, what I've identified watching it, uh, watching the jumper, and and for me, like, first thing, I, I, I don't think he's going to be a, a high-volume, off-the-bounce guy, especially early on, but he does need to learn how to play off the ball a little bit, right? That's, I mean, even a, a shooter like Trey, who is capable of you know hitting pull-ups from the logo Mm -hmm. what's the thing everybody always says we want to get another ball handler for him so he can spend some time off ball Steph Curry one of the reasons you know he's so effective well not one it doesn't matter either way because he's uh, a lightning rod who hits shots no matter what the circumstance doesn't matter but he also he he spends time off ball and that makes him even harder to guard because now you don't have to worry about him as a defender just when he has the ball in his hands he's running around screens and and even if he's just spaced in the corner you can't leave him that's mm-hmm. obviously not Sharif but he does need to learn how to just stand in a spot and be ready to catch and shoot and i think that even in the college season he was better at in catch and shoot situations uh than off the bounce he certainly looked more comfortable because you know Typically, it's it's a little bit uh, easier to, you know, have consistency when you're stepping into a, a, a shot than when you're having to create it and there's, you know, right. a defender right on you. But the, the thing I, had, I identified about his form, and it's weird, and it's hard to, it might be hard to kind of like imagine in this audio version that, that, you know, if you're listening to this, but mm. his back is like, like he's leaning back and his yeah. back is like, arched like and Mm. and his legs are so like a catapult yeah and and so he's like arched back and then he like comes a little bit forward with it when he launches because when it leaves his hand the way it leaves his hand i actually think and that's what keeps me optimistic about him as a shooter a little bit because it's like the touch is there um and like it coming off his hands it looks like it's in his fingertips but i think a lot of them the inaccuracy with the shooting is the fact that he's so off balance just at, as a starting point, even when he's wide open as a shooter. Hmm. So I really think he needs to straighten that out. And, and I think maybe if he uh, reworks his shot a little bit, he reworks his, you know, and I think part of the, the off balance and that curved back, it has to do with, you know, his footwork. I think if he spaces his foot, his feet out a little bit more shoulder width apart, widens the base a little bit, it'll help him not be so reliant on, on leaning back. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I don't even necessarily think it's like, Oh, I can't shoot from distance. So I got to like, I, I just think it's a weird habit. He must've developed at, at some point, but I, you know, and it, look, it's not going to be an easy road to fix that because mm-hmm. when you're this old, like it's really hard to change your form and a lot of people yeah. do it. And a lot of, it, it's not like this impossible task. And like I said, there are reasons for me to be optimistic about it, but, he definitely needs to to fix just the way his body looks mm-hmm. and and, and yeah. it'll help. I, I mean, because if you watch it on film, you got to be like, man, I can't keep doing that. You know, like you look at a, a still frame of Clay or or Steph or Ray Allen and all these Jerry West, like dating all the way back. Like, it doesn't really matter how far you go back. You Every, like good shooters have a lot of the same qualities and, and mm-hmm. he doesn't have that right away. So that like, if I was working with him, that's one thing right away I'd, I'd identify is like, you need to, we need to fix that base of yours before you even get into your jumper. Um, because without it, he's not going to be successful. And 
but even said like like we said like even without that jumper he shot 23 percent, and he i think it was on like over five attempts a game he's still able to get wherever he wants on the floor at will so a yeah. lot of guys who can't shoot you know you're just like all right well i'm gonna go under like i'm just gonna go under screens and drop back you can't really do that with him because he's got such a crafty handle and he's so good in the pick and roll that you just set the start the screen a little bit lower um and and Plus, it gives him more opportunities for a cleaner, you know, uh, path uh, for his vision to the rim. He now he could start seeing different options a little bit better. So you kind of have to crowd him just so he can't slither passes through. Mm-hmm. Um, and he attacks with reckless abandon, like we said, he gets to the free throw line that many times. So even with that, it it still doesn't hamper him from getting to the rim. And but like we said, that's another thing he's got to work on the rim finishing. He was forty nine and a half percent on close twos, and that's at the college level. And Again, I'm optimistic about it because he had some really impressive finishes too, and he had good touch. Um, and, and and the touch thing, like it, it lends itself to you know for me to believe that like once he figures out how to eliminate some of the tough drives, and that's where maybe the floaters come in instead of going all the way to the hoop. Maybe he shouldn't have been at eight free throw attempts a game this year. Maybe he should have been at six. Mm. And some of those attempts could have been floaters. Um, and then, you know, he's getting better opportunities. Um, you know, his, his percentage will just be higher because they're, they're better, cleaner shots. And some of the times where he ends up not getting fouled and he gets blocked instead or has to throw, you know, kind of do some kind of crafty finish, you know, it eliminates that. And, and I think that'll help him just get into that floater and just figuring out his spots a little bit better and not always thinking, all right, I got to get to the hoop. I got to finish. I got to draw a foul. It's great. That mentality is great, but he's got, I think, pull back a little bit um, and, and learn how to work that in between a little bit, work that in between a little bit. Yeah. Corey, the one thing I'll say that I think you're really spot on about is I, I think the touch thing is such an important aspect of when we're thinking about the ultimate ceiling of a player. Right. Um, and, and like almost or, Everything that you talked about, almost all of it revolved around the fact that he has touch, right? Whether it's his yep. finishing at the rim or his shooting from deep. The fact that he has touch lends you to believe that there is a ceiling where he can be better than what he is right now. And yep. so when, when I look at him, like, uh, it just reminds me, like, early in the season, the Knicks were playing the Heat. And there was a drive where RJ was going to the basket and he didn't do a good enough job of protecting the ball away from Jimmy. And mm-hmm. right after the play, Jimmy walks over to him. He's like, bro, yep. you have to come harder into my body, create that space and then put it up. And RJ understood that. And to be honest, like, I, I think RJ's really developed so much as a scorer. And that's the little nuance that you can pick up through playing in the NBA, whether it's through the coaching or the experience of playing against these guys, you will learn how to better utilize your body to create space. Right now, some guys yeah. have it naturally already. Like we talked about last week. Um, that's how I feel about Jaden Springer, uh, Trey right. Man. These guys are like natural creators of space. But the the kind of the, the big thing that you need though ultimately is the touch. And so if Cooper has the touch, right, and then can develop that other aspect where he's using his body to utilize that touch, then his ceiling goes up that much more. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, hundred so percent. That's why I, I really agree with you. I think him having that touch is what really kind of sells that upside and makes him more exciting than man, you. You know what, Corey? You're like a you're like a magician, man. Every time we talk about a player that I'm not so high on, we start talking. I'm like, damn, I kind of like this guy more than I realized. <laughs> um, but yeah, the touch thing is real. And I think 
it, he just has to use he has to learn how to leverage his body better yes. and use that to keep you know to create that space between him and the bigs or even like so like even when he was going against Davion Davion as we talked about freaking brick house athlete who moves so well and is just so freaking strong even against him there were moments where he really struggled but as you mentioned, I think with the handle and the first step, he will get better at that, and his touch is what's going to separate him. So, freaking hell! Now I'm like selling myself on Cooper, and um, I feel confused now. What the hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> He's a confusing guy. I don't think you're alone. I, I think yeah. people are struggling to kind of find the right spot for him because his upside is really freaking high, mm-hmm. um, but his downside, obviously, not. So, like, let's we have like the volatility index. I think that on our scale of volatility, he's, he's a, a really volatile stock. If you were going to buy a stock, like this is the high risk, high reward stock, you know, like, and, and he doesn't come in the traditional package of like six foot eight, seven, one wingspan windmill dunks on breaks, you know, like three and D maybe he can learn to create. He's not that traditional package. It's more like if he ever kind of figures out how to get, to like 35, 36% from three on decent enough volume, you're looking at like kind of like Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, Celtics version of Isaiah Thomas, you know, um, you know, yeah, pre hip, you know, even uh, Sacramento Kings version of Isaiah Thomas, if you don't want to go with the MVP version, you know, like that's kind of like what his upside could be, I think, uh, if he figures out the jumper and that's a, a, a really valuable player in the modern NBA where, you know, you're, you know, the offense dictates the, the flow of the game, you know, like the Knicks are, uh, and Thibodeau's Knicks, like those dudes defend their ass off. Uh, they're, but they're a very rare breed. Um, and I love watching it and I love that style, but it's rare, you know, like this is the perfect era for a guard like Sharif Cooper to succeed. Whereas if you put him in another era, he might not, but Mm. the rules are made for a guy like him to succeed it's uh it's about developing some of the other stuff but like isaiah thomas you know this defense you know there's not even much we have to analyze with it he tries hard he moves well laterally you know he's another guy like i i watch multiple possessions where he beats a guy to the spot draws a a charge and especially because he's so good at when there is contact exaggerating it in a way that it looks natural because he does it on both ends. He does it on offense mm-hmm. and he does it on defense. And that's why he's so good at drawing fouls. He's got those like crafty Chris Paul, like head jerks and like all the little stuff that it, like veterans have down when they're drawing free throws. He has that on both ends on offense mm-hmm. and defense. So like he tries hard. I think, I think he moves well enough laterally. You know, I don't think his awareness as a help defender was like perfect, but I don't, I think Auburn looked pretty undisciplined on that end at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately he's just short. He's short, man. You know, like he's, like we said, he's closer to five, eight than, you know, probably the, the six one that he's listed at. So guys are just going to shoot over him, and, and the, the point guard position is loaded. So as a point of attack defender, I mean, right away, your defense is probably going to break down. And then, and then as a help defender, like, even if you're going to try to hide him, you know, he still has a lot to learn just being aware of all weak side action while also maintaining focus on what's going on on the strong side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? No, I agree with you, bro. I, I think it's as simple as you said it. He is short and that's what the hell is he going to do about that? Right. He's a, he's a, he's a smaller guy. We legitimately think he's below six feet. 
So yeah. that's just going to be a struggle for him. I, I do agree with you, though. Like, the effort is there. You clearly see him moving his feet. You see him digging in. You see him getting into a stance once in a while. Or actually, no, he, he I thought talks. he did a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah he talks. He talks, too. I think th- this is so hard, though, because as you mentioned, that team sucked. Like, that Auburn team was not fun to watch. And yeah. it's kind of like it's like we always struggle every year to dissect Syracuse defenders because they're always playing two, three zone and we never really know how to feel about any of them. Um, it, it's kind of hard to like really be like Sharif Cooper is a bad defender or a good defender because his team was so bad. Like I, I just really didn't like that team. And then he's small. So I, I, I will say, cause we're shitting yeah. on them. They play yeah. hard, <laughs> you know, like they play. I'm not, I don't want like, they're just not fun to watch. <laughs> like yeah. they weren't fun to watch. I like, they're division one college players. They don't like suck. They just, they weren't yeah. fun to watch. <laughs> it's kind of like a rock fight. It was kind of like watching a rock <laughs> fight with them uh, once in a while, but um, yeah, it was tough, but I will say, okay. So you asked about the volatility and this is how I feel, Corey. Mm-hmm. I think how volatile a player is, is interesting, but what's more interesting is how we feel about the volatility depending on where we enter. So what I mean by that is you can have a draft. I uh, sorry. You can have a stock. That's super volatile, right? But yeah. if I buy that stock at freaking four cents, yeah. like Dogecoin, then mm-hmm. I don't really care too much about the volatility because I only invested four cents into the stock, right? right? That's how I view all the... So I think where you draft Sharif is ultimately going to define how volatile he is. Because mm-hmm. if you're spending a lottery pick in the top 14 on Sharif Cooper, then the freaking pressure is on you are going to feel every little bit of that volatility. If he has one good game, you're going to feel it. If he has one bad game, you're going to feel it hard. But let's say you're a team in the 20s. Let's say, who's a team that's going to be sitting in the 20s? Let's say, I'll, uh, let me, let me, let me pull up Tankathon real quick. Okay. I'll, okay. I, I got you. Uh, we got like, what's the 23rd the team? We, we got the, the we got we got like the 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 Knicks are right there. Knicks are twenty twenty two by way of Dallas by way of Dallas, and then they got twenty one with their own pick. Right now they're back to back twenty one twenty two. But you got the Rockets by way of Milwaukee, Rockets by way of Portland, okay. um, Philly, Denver. As you get down on you go down okay. a little bit. Philly, Philly. Let's imagine you're Philly, right? Mm-hmm. And you spend the twenty fifth, twenty sixth pick on Sharif Cooper. Then that volatility isn't as crazy because now you're in a situation where you didn't spend a lottery pick on him you spent a pick on the 20s on Sharif Cooper and so I I, yes I think he's going to be volatile but I think the biggest biggest thing that'll define Cooper's success or failure as a prospect is going to be where he's drafted so my my biggest fear with him is we just spent how many like 40 minutes talking about the good and the bad and there's like a good amount of both Right. Mm. So one of my fears is a team in the lottery taking him and expecting him to be a low, low floor, high ceiling guy, because that's not how I see Cooper. I see him as a high ceiling. So, so sorry, sorry. I see him as a high floor. So, so ceiling guy. I'm not exactly sure on what a ceiling is because of his height. And so my thing would be don't spend a lottery pick on Sharif Cooper. Spend a late teens, 20s pick on Sharif Cooper, and you're going to be really freaking happy with him is how I feel. So, yeah. So you're saying you want him. You got, you know, the 12th pick in the draft. Let's say you're the Indiana Pacers. Trade down. You're trade you're, down. you're a trade down for Sharif guy. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Especially because, you know, what? this draft, 
is really what it's a crapshoot. It's really wide open after probably like six, mm-hmm. you know, or seven, you know, that area and on. It's a crapshoot. A lot of guys, depending on who you talk to and, and how you feel like Sharif is going to be in people's top 10. Um, and I think you can debate it. I think it's a reasonable discussion uh, when you compare him to some other guys. Uh, so when, but speaking of the teams in that, in that range, uh, mm. one, I do like him with the Knicks. If you're talking two picks back to back in the early twenties and you're looking for, you know, somebody to throw lobs to Nerlens Noel and, and Mitchell Robinson and Obi Sharif's fun. Sharif's fun. And Tom Thibodeau loves small guards, quick yeah. guards like this. He's had a ton <laughs> of success with them and he finds a way to hide them. So yeah. now I'm all in on the Sharif to the Knicks bandwagon. That's now I'm all in on that. Uh, but also the Rockets, if you're the Rockets and, and you're just, you have two picks in the twenties and then you're going to have, you know, potentially uh, a top three or four pick potentially. Yeah. You know, he's a guy, that's a team that could take a chance on a guy like Sharif. They took a chance on Kevin Porter Jr. That's paying dividends. So, you know, they might be like, hey, this could be another guy that we add to the treasure trove of like undervalue. We think this value, uh, this asset is undervalued. Uh, so that's another landing spot I like. Um, but the Knicks would be fun just for my my personal <laughs> selfishness. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Sharif as a Alfred Payton replacement. That's fun. Yeah. That's really freaking fun. And if we can b- bring back Derek Rose and we have a three guard lineup of Rose quickly and Sharif. Okay. Mm. I'm, I'm in on that. That's really fun. Dude. Let me tell you something about quickly. Uh, one watching him in person, this dude moves like you're like, yo, this is, this dude's a 20 point score. He moves that way. He moves that way in person. But the other thing, and you know, I know I said that I, I really enjoyed only having like, what is it? 20% capacity of the garden or whatever. Yo, if when he hits a shot and that place is packed and it's a big moment of the game, the garden is going to go fucking nuts. Let's go. Yo, like the reaction, the, every time that dude has the ball in his hands behind the three point line, Hmm. everybody at the garden was at the edge of their seat. That is going to be, that's going to be absurd. That's an aside that has nothing to do with Sharif. Although, uh, Sharif's lack of shooting and quickly in the backcourt, it's a small one. It's a small one, but complimentary on, on the offensive end. Um, all right. So all in all, and I know you said maybe after this conversation, you're starting to, to sway a little bit. And, and I think, you know, you touched on it a little bit, but are you buying or selling Sharif stock right now? Cause he rose, he was a stock riser, you know, he's helped himself out and, and, you know, you, uh, you average out the 15, 16, 19. He's in that 17 range. That's a little bit earlier than your, your twenties, uh, where you initially want to grab them. So are you buying or selling Cooper stock? I think for me, going back to what I said before, if he's okay, so I, I I'll give the perfect range for me, like where I'm at, I think anywhere outside of the lottery, I'm okay with. So if he's like 15 to 25, I'm totally fine with taking Sharif Cooper there. It's just, once again, my fear for him is like, once you put the label of lottery pick on him, I think that's where it goes, where that pressure can really mount on him. Um, So I am buying Cooper stock, but I'm buying him outside the lottery is I think the best way to put it for me. All right. Personally, I think he's a lottery talent 
But if you can trade down a little bit and get him a little bit lower, that's probably the play. But I think if a team in the 10 to 14 range was like, I'm going to Sharif's the guy he killed in workouts. The jumper looks better. He is an offensive dynamo could be an offense in and of himself when he's on the floor, whether you want to start him or you think he's like this super spark plug guy who is going to just be like, take your offense to a, a, you know, a new level when you go to the bench, like whatever the case I could buy into him being a lottery guy and you taking him there and it totally being worth it and worth the, you know, whatever perceived risk there is. But I think that there are going to be other guys that teams are, you know, going to try to talk themselves into in that same range. You know, I think teams might try to talk themselves into a Zaire Williams or, or Mm -hmm. something, you know, like um, in that range. And, And when you start comparing him one to one with some other guys, I could see how I would, rather have him but if those guys are going to leapfrog him you could just get him a little bit lower and you might be able to swing another asset by moving down so could be the smart play he's a fun one um do you have any final thoughts or or did we cover did we cover it all with him i have a couple thoughts i think the first thing to Corey, that i think is going to be interesting um i think cooper stock is going to move a lot because we're going to see as you mentioned the crapshoot aspect of this draft we're going to see guys move all over the place like i'm I don't know. I actually haven't taken a look at it yet, but has BJ Boston declared? Because BJ Boston is the exact type of guy that I think can move. Mm. Um, I feel like scouts are going to look at him and like watch his Kentucky tape and then go back to his Sierra Canyon stuff and be like, no, there's a player in here. And I could actually see him moving up. A guy like Johnny Juzang, who had a freaking mm-hmm. crazy tournament. I think he's going to move. There are all kinds of guys that are going to move, right? Like we haven't even mentioned um, Io, uh, the uh, Illinois kid, Io yeah. DeSumo or whatever. Yeah, he, he's another guy that for sure you can already tell. Like, he's a classic guy that you, he's going to move. We talked about Trey Mann. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up because I do think he's going to move. Um, I just, yeah, man, it, it's going to be strange, I think, to see where he ends up because I know right now he's on the rise, but, like, as we get closer and closer to the draft, it could be that he rose too soon. Mm. And then now he's going to come back down to earth a little bit. And so I really do feel like 21, 23 might be like where Sharif ends up going because of what you mentioned with a guy like Zaire Williams or, you know, a a million other wings that, you know, we'll talk more about. And we've mentioned even like a freaking all these guys, Keon Johnson, Book Knight, all these guys. It it starts to mount if you think about it, like all the wings that are out there and how they might rise heading into it. So I think that's something to think about as well. And that might end up kind of moving things for him is kind of how I feel. Yeah, no, you're I. I agree with that. And the other thing is, too, the the further you get down towards the back end of the first round, the more you have those teams that might be looking to add a more veteran piece to their team that thinking maybe they, you know, maybe we could nab a guy like Peyton Pritchard who could help us right away. Hmm. Uh, and, And if you're a team like that, maybe you don't want to take a risk on a point guard who has a ton of talent, but is ultimately, you know, six foot in that range, you know, height wise. And, and you don't have time to sit and watch him develop. On the other hand, maybe that team's like, this is a shot to take a high risk guy and, uh, you know, take a risk. So it is going to be interesting to see ultimately where he lands. Um, but I, I think he's going to be a ton of fun in the NBA and, uh, I'm buying, I'm buying Sharif stock 
right now, no. even I even mean, though he's at an appropriate he's at an appropriate price. His stock's yeah. at an appropriate price right now. He's yeah. he's priced out. I think he started out low, and now uh, he moved himself into into the right range. And wherever you get into a range, you typically have like what a plus four minus four you like you have that like eight spot range ultimately where you're gonna go so i i think he's he's appropriately priced um before we do get out of here i want to say and uh you know we found out right after we finished recording mm. last week um that terrence uh clark had passed and um you know it's it's really really one of the more sad things that's that's happened um you know, over the, the current, um, you know, season that such an untimely passing. I mean, any, not that any time is, is the right time, but I think that you saw the outpouring of love and support on the internet on, um, just from all of the players of all age ranges, um, you know, from the city of Boston, it it you know it showed that this kid had affected so many people in the basketball community at such a young age and and everybody had nothing but good things to say and it all seemed genuine mm-hmm. you know there was people were genuinely hurt by this um so i just want to you know send out you know good vibes to to anybody that was really affected by this because you know it was a it was a really, really tough thing to happen to a kid that was about to realize his dreams. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I 100% agree. I think, you know, I'm sure he was in L.A. to prepare for the draft and to work on all that stuff. And so I think it's it, it's tough. And the time, as you mentioned, the timing of it all. And I mean, he was like, what, 19? And so, I mean, for, we talk so much about these players and their futures and stuff like that. And the fact that he past like that it's terrible it really is terrible and it's heartbreaking and um yeah for anyone listening who was a big fan or you know family member or whatever our condolences go to you guys and yeah i'm sure his teammates are going to carry that legacy for him um guys like bj boston or whoever um you know it's it's heartbreaking it it really really is terrible and um i'm sure uh you know the nba has always done a good job of commemorating these players um and so Hopefully around the draft time, you know, hopefully he can get uh, drafted. Is it posthumously? Yeah, posthumously drafted. Um, that would be great. But, um, yeah, overall, heartbreaking, man. Really, really tough. And so, um, yeah. You know, I, I think his, his memory is going to uh, live on through all of these players. And um, so just good vibes to, to the basketball community and, and anybody who, you know, felt affected by this loss. And uh, all right, that's going to do it for uh, this episode of the Draft Hack. And I appreciate you guys rocking with us. I mean, guys, we're growing. We're growing. We beat Shaq last week. Um, Let's do it again this week because it's it's fun. (laughs) We're going to make this a thing. We're getting Shaq to to respond at some point. Um, Means a lot from the bottom of our heart that uh, you guys are enjoying the content. Please, um, if you haven't already, uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and uh, five-star rate it, and uh, leave a review. That would be dope. Uh, And until next week, guys, peace.